You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, uh, this is week number two in our series called Made for More. Say this, say I am made for more. God has more for me. And I intend to walk in it. All right, well, let's look at our foundation scripture found in Ephesians chapter two. And we're gonna focus on, uh, well, let's just read the whole thing. I, I have verse 10 there on your notes, but let's look at verse Verses 8 through 10, it says this, For it is by free grace, everybody say free grace. grace. Aren't you glad God's grace is free? We don't have to earn it. It said God's unmerited favor that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. This is the Amplified Bible, by the way. Through your faith, and this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing, it came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Hallelujah. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. It's all Jesus. Jesus did the work for us. Verse 10 says this, and this is what we're wanting to get to. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship. The New Living Bible we read last week says we are God's masterpiece, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. Remember, we said last week that the things that we're talking about, God has already prepared for you. It's not something that he is currently at work on. The Bible says he pre-planned all of these things for us before the foundation of the world. And so what he did is he pre-appointed these things, waited for you to show up and so that you can live it and walk it out. And so it says, and then I highlighted it for you, It says, God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now, you know, somebody might say, well, are you, you know, one of those kind of preachers that's positive all the time? Well, no, I tell you the truth. And the truth is God has a good life prepared for you. Now, I did not say it would be free from problems and tests and trials. Jesus never promised that. The Word of God never promised that. But you can have a good life in in spite of all of those things. Amen? And so that's what God has prepared for us ahead of time, this good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. You know, the title of our series is Made for More, and so just for kicks, yesterday I, I just got out the concordance and looked up uh, the phrase more in the New Testament, and it really shows up a lot. I encourage you, if you get a few moments, you know, if you have the Bible app, you can do a search, or if you, uh, you know, have some Bible software, you can do this as well. But let me just show you two verses that talk about the more that God has for us. So let's look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense. If you remember, we read verse 12 out of this chapter last year, and it's last year, last week, and it says that that through Adam's sin, sin and death were released into the earth. And then in verse 15, he says, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's, excuse me, offense, many died, much more, say much more, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Yes, I I agree, sin is great, but where sin does abound, grace does much more abound, is what this verse is saying. So God is all about the much more. He's about grace being much more than sin. Uh, In the same chapter, look at verse 17. 
For by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, say much more. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So even though death wants to rule and reign in the earth and has tried to exert control over your life, the, the Apostle Paul wrote here and he said that much more those who receive the abundance of grace, which that's all of us, we have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, that does not mean you can go and reign over your spouse or reign over your boss at work, okay? Just, just a joke. I wanted to see if y'all were paying attention. No, it just means you can reign in life against the things that the enemy would try and bring against you. Amen. So it is God's plan for us to experience much more in this life. Now, you know, the interesting thing and the thing I love about being a believer is growing in Christ, growing in spirit in our spiritual lives and becoming more mature. But here's the thing that's, that's very cool about our Christian life, and that is this, you will never exhaust or come to the end of your growth or your maturity, so to speak. I believe it's something that will be ongoing throughout eternity. You know, I mentioned this Wednesday night at, at Bible study, but Ephesians chapter 2 says that through the ages to come, God is going to reveal to us his goodness and his grace for us. And so that's going to be awesome. Can you imagine, uh, you know, looking forward and, and in eternity, of course, when we, when we step over into eternity, there's no sake of time, no sense of time. So, you know, it's going to seem like every day God's revealing something new to us about his grace for us and his goodness and his mercy for us. But that's what the life of a believer is supposed to be all about. Growing in him, becoming more. Uh, we never exhaust that. So as good as your life might be right now, and I hope that it is, it can get better. If your life isn't so hot right now, guess what? It can get better. Praise God. So that is the hope that we have. Now, there is something that wants to work in your life to keep you from entering into the more that God has prepared for you. And so we're going to talk about that today. And I'm going to get really practical and show you some things but here's probably one of the largest obstacles to you walking in the fullness of what God has prepared for you, even in your basic relationship with Jesus, and those are called your feelings. Feelings. So we're going to talk about feelings. Now, everybody has them. Uh, we all have them in one degree or another, and uh, you know, so... We need to talk about feelings because it's not something we can dismiss and pretend like does not exist. They do exist. Matter of fact, um, if you've ever been around a young child, you know, perhaps an infant, uh, did you, have you ever noticed how children let their feelings express everything? A child will let you know by their feelings when they're hungry, when they're sleepy, when they're not sleepy, when they're fighting sleep, They'll let you know when they're mad. You know, they just, children, especially babies, you know, they just live by their feelings. It's, it's all about, you know, listen, when, when a, a baby is happy, that means their diaper is good, their belly is full, and they are happy. But let one thing get out of kilter, they let you know they don't feel right. Those, those of you who have been parents, can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about. Have you ever been in a situation where maybe your feelings have misled you? You know, maybe you were in a situation and you felt like something was good and that it was the right thing to do. And after you got into the situation, you, you, you really realized, I have, I have messed up. Okay, why? Because your feelings fooled you and led you down a path that you, 
didn't really want to go. Let me give you an example. Uh, you know, since becoming a Christian, anybody ever had one of those times or seasons where you felt like God was a million miles away? I mean, I have. I have felt that way. Now, the Bible says that he never leaves you nor forsakes you. But I know a lot of Christians that unfortunately live by their feelings. And so that's why you have a lot of Christians that go through wilderness experiences. You know, where they'll tell you, I'm just in a dry season. I'm just in a season where uh, I, God is just not near. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says even though you may not feel like he's near, he is very near. Matter of fact, the scripture says he's an ever-present help in a time of need. And so if you are motivated and living by your feelings, um, you'll feel like God maybe is a million miles away from you, but he really is right there where he's always been. And your feelings can fool you. Uh, have you ever confessed a sin as a Christian? Maybe you missed it. You confessed it. And uh, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the moment that you confess that sin, according to what the Bible says, he forgives you and cleanses you by the blood of Jesus from that sin, and it's gone forever. But how many of you, after you have confessed it, have felt like, you weren't forgiven. I have. You felt guilty. Maybe in that condemnation thing kicked in and, and you, you felt like you were carrying that. You know, maybe you have seen uh, both in Christian circles and secular circles as well. How about those couples, you know, a uh, man and a wife or, I mean, a boyfriend, girlfriend. Man, when, during that dating process, they're so lovey-dovey just, you know, hugging one another and all you see is PDA and, and uh, it's just, you know, one thing after another and you see this going on and on and on and, and uh, you know, we see this out in Hollywood a lot. You'll see these folks, they'll start dating and they'll get together and next thing you know, they get married and then the next thing you know, after a short period of time, they're not together anymore. And then you see where they're getting divorced and, and uh, you ask or maybe you see or read where somebody asks them, well, what happened to the relationship? Well, we just fell out of love. I just don't feel like I love them anymore. Well, how many of you know, <laughs> sometimes you're going to have to love somebody even when you don't feel like it. For those of you who are married, are there days that you don't feel like you're married? Well, thank you for that one honest person in the back. Praise the Lord. No, you better make up your mind. You're in it to win it. And no matter what, that, what you wake up and feel like that morning, if you're married, you're married. And so you better make up your mind. You're going to love that. But what, here's what my point is. That, that people allow their feelings to just take them all over the place, kind of like somebody floating around, bobbing around in the ocean. And so, you know, you never know whether somebody's going to be up one day or down the next. And, and a lot of folks, you know, it's like a roller coaster ride. Well, if you're taking notes, write this down. And that is this, that one of the most difficult things we do in our human experience is learning to navigate through our feelings. Now you have them. God gave you feelings. So, you know, we're, we're not disregarding that and we're not minimizing that. But, you know, I mentioned how children are so easily moved by their feelings and, and their feelings dictate to them, you know, and really what childhood is all about, particularly in parenting and helping children and disciplining children is really, if you think about this carefully, it's really about teaching children not to live by how they feel. L let me give you an example. How many of us, if we're honest, there were days when you were a kid and you were in school and you woke up and did not feel like going to school? Okay, I did. There were days, you know, all the way up through high school. Shoot, when I was in Bible school, there were days when I woke up and I did not feel like going to school. 
Well, guess what? If you know, if you might wake up and feel like going, not going to school, but uh, but thank God I had a parent who loved me enough and said, "It doesn't matter what you feel like, sweetheart. You're going to school." Okay, and so you know th- that we've got to realize that that childhood is when we're supposed to grow out of that. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't grow out of that. How many of you wake up and you don't feel like going to work, but you get up and go anyway? Why? Particularly if you got, you know, little mouths looking at you saying, hey, what are we going to eat tomorrow? Okay? You, you, something just motivates you to get up and go to work anyway. So as I said earlier, write this down, please. Sometimes our feelings can fool us. They can mislead us and to get us to follow things that are contrary to what are in God's Word, contrary to maybe what we've been taught, and, and lead us down a path that we really don't want to, to go down. You know, one of the things that I've learned, and, and I've, this became very apparent after the pandemic, you know, I have several friends that own businesses. Uh, I have a couple of friends that have a restaurant business, and uh, they noticed that they were able to retain a few people during the pandemic, but once the pandemic was over, nobody wanted to work anymore. And if I talk to one employer, I've talked to many that have said they cannot keep employees. They cannot keep, and, and particularly, and I'm not knocking a particular uh, demographic, but especially among younger people. Uh, they cannot keep people employed because here's why. People wake up and again, they don't feel like going to work. So you know what happens? They don't. They don't call in. They don't do nothing. They just don't show up. And here's why. Write this down because this is a main reason why. People who live by their feelings are very selfish. See, those folks who who treat their jobs that way don't even think in bigger picture. Like if I call in today, even though there's nothing wrong with me, I just don't feel like going in. If I call in today, how is that going to impact somebody else? How's that going to impact the company? How is that going to impact that business? How is that going to impact that restaurant from being able to serve people? And, And so they don't think that way. Selfish People are, are, are people that live by their feelings are very selfish. Why? Because your feelings tell you it's all about who? You. Okay? And that's where your feelings can mislead you. Another thing is people who live by their feelings always make selfish choices. If following your feelings was a safe way to live... And by the way, you know, I came up in the generation and I think there's some of us who are old enough to remember this. Remember in the late 60s and early 70s? See if this phrase sounds familiar to you. If it feels good, do it. Anybody remember hearing that? Okay. You know, so you've got this mindset that's prevalent. And if feelings, living by your feelings, if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, then don't do it. If you don't feel like doing it, don't do it, etc. If that was a safe way to live, then why do we go through the effort uh, of trying to teach people in school and in college and so forth and so on this thing called ethics where we try and give people some type of moral standard to live by And, you know, those of us who are a little older, you know, when we are trying to influence younger people, you know, we tell them, uh, listen, you need to be responsible. You need to show up for your job. You need to do things like that. Why do we go through that exercise then if feelings are the proper way for us to live? Well, the truth of the matter is they are not the proper way to live. Write this down, please. Every born-again believer, even Christians, even a born-again believer of Jesus Christ is capable of having really rotten feelings. Uh, You know, I'm going to be very transparent with you. 
There are days, you know, and, and I've been doing this now for a long time, uh, you know, and I've, I've been in ministry, volunteer and full-time basis, uh, really since I was in Bible school 40 some odd years ago. I know that's hard to believe because I'm only 36, but that, that was too much laughter right there, Kathy. Okay. You need to keep that down. All right. But the truth of the matter is, you know, see, you made me even forget what I was saying. Oh, you know, there, in, in serving in ministry on a volunteer or full-time basis, paid basis, whatever, uh, there have been Sundays when I have woken up and said, you know, I just don't feel like going to church. I just don't feel like doing it today. Well, guess what? You know, especially since I became the pastor, I don't have the luxury of following that and being led by that. How many of you, you know, have ever felt like, as I mentioned to you a while ago, you know the Bible says Jesus gave us the commandment that said we need to love one another as he loved us and gave his life for us. And, you know, how many of you have ever been faced with an opportunity where you didn't feel like loving somebody? Okay, thank you for that somewhat dishonest response, but, uh, but it's the truth nonetheless. We've all felt that way. Now, you know, when uh, we become a Christian, and I don't ever, ever, ever want to mislead someone that becomes a Christian, gives their heart to Christ, gets born again, that somehow, magically, all of that goes away. That somehow, you know, when you give your heart to Jesus, whether you came down to the front or you prayed a prayer with someone or you even if you did it by yourself, you know, I never want to give people the impression that after you pray that prayer, there's something magical that happens. You know, that you, you're just different. That somehow, you know, the air smells different. The birds sing louder and clearer and the flowers are blooming and, you know, that, and it's just butterflies and unicorns everywhere you go. I never want to paint that picture. Matter of fact, you know, there are many of us that would probably, if we were honest, gave the testimony that, uh, you know, when I went down front, I can say this, that actually when I gave my heart to Christ, I did it by myself and when I knelt down beside my bed and I prayed the prayer to give my heart to Jesus, I felt no different when I got up than before I prayed the prayer. But what I had to do was, in spite of how I felt, choose to believe, what does God say happened to me? Well, God says I got born again, that I belong to him, that if I was to breathe my last, that I would end up in heaven spending an eternity with Jesus. But I am different. I'm a new creation in Christ. And so what has to happen at that point is we have to begin to grow and mature and learn how to do something about our feelings and our emotions. Now, I am in no way, shape, or form implying that you're supposed to become, and I'm going to date myself, like Mr. Spock. Anybody remember Mr. Spock from Star Trek? You know, the Vulcans, which he was part of that race, um, they trained themselves to totally eradicate their feelings from their lives. They were totally to live by logic. And, of course, you know, the, the struggle for Spock was as he was half human, half Vulcan. And somebody says, that's more information than I really needed to know. But what I'm wanting you to see is, is we are not trying to imply nor teach you that you're supposed to live feeling less. Like you're supposed to somehow learn how to squash all that and diminish your feelings. I'm going to show you today uh, how you're supposed to live and how your feelings are supposed to live and function in your life. Now here's a huge thing right now that I want you to get. Write this down, please. Feelings were never meant to be decision makers. Feelings, your feelings were never meant to be decision makers. 
Your feelings were never designed to lead you. Okay, so let me show you a really interesting verse in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 21 and 22. I'm going to read it to you from the New International. Solomon wrote this. He said, under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear. We're only going to look at one, and that's found in verse 22. A servant who becomes king. Now what does that mean? A servant who becomes king. The implication is that a servant in a servant's role, uh, in particularly in Bible day, was not going to become a king and never should be king because there are no leadership qualities in that servant to qualify them to become a king. Now, what I, my point is this. What we have done is we have made something that was never intended to rule in our lives and lead our lives, we have unknowingly put feelings on the throne of our lives and let our feelings lead us and make decisions for us. And notice what he said. He said, under three things, the earth trembles. In other words, these things that ought not be, that are out of order, when this happens, it figuratively, but it causes an earthquake. It causes a mess. It causes a rumbling to take place and things to become really jacked up. And what he's saying to us is when we take something that was not meant to lead us and put it in that role, it will really mess up our lives. And so Solomon is telling us that we don't need to cause hurt and harm and destruction in our lives, but, but by placing feelings on the throne of our lives, you know, I didn't make a point out of this, but it's true nonetheless. Feelings are great, but they're not supposed to be the leader of your life. And so many people, including Christians, let their feelings dictate to them what they're going to do, the decisions that they're going to make, where they're going to go, who they're going to be with, all those types of things. When those feelings were not designed to lead you, I'm going to go ahead and reveal the punchline, they're designed to follow you. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, just stay tuned. We'll get to that. So feelings are great, but they're not supposed to be the leader in your life. Feelings are designed to follow your decisions, not make the decisions for you. Okay, so write this down, please. Your feelings are not leaders, they are followers. Your emotions are not leaders, they're followers. Now please don't misunderstand me. God gave you your emotions. You know, we have this misunderstanding about Jesus. That Jesus walked the earth in his ministry and was this robotic, non-feeling, non-emotional being that just walked around, you know, in a long robe. And a lot of times he had a little lamb under his arm and he walked around and he, I'm being funny, but, he, but and facetious, but he ministered to people and so forth and so on. That is not the description of Jesus. If you will read the four gospels, you'll see where Jesus got sad. Jesus got mad. Jesus uh, experienced grief. He experienced all of the human emotions, but here's the thing that was different. He never let his emotions control him. He never let his emotions dictate to him what he was going to do. Now let's begin to unravel this and look at how then do we take our emotions off the throne of our lives and make them become a follower and not a leader, all right? So let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, and let's look at something Paul wrote. He said this, and you're familiar with these scriptures, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thought, or one final thing. Fix your thoughts. 
If you can, in your notes there, if you'll underline that phrase like I have highlighted it on the screen for you, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. By the way, I'm reading from the New Living. And he says this in verse 9, Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Now, what Paul is telling them, he's connecting the two. What Paul is doing, he's saying to the people at, at, at the church of Philippi, keep putting into practice what you have seen me do. Well, what have we seen you do, Paul? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable. In other words, what they observed Paul do was to fix his thoughts on what is right and what is correct. Okay? And he said, keep putting into practice those things that you've learned from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, Notice what the end result will be. Then the God of peace will be with you. Now I'm going to just say this. A lot of us are experiencing all kinds of emotions from fear and worry and, and anxiety and, and tension and all of those negative emotions and a lot of times, if not all the time, the reason that we are experiencing them is because we're fixing our thoughts on the wrong things. Okay? Notice what he said. If you will fix your thoughts on what is correct and right and put it into practice, then the God of peace, peace will be with you. Do you see that? Okay? So look at this, write this down please. Peace comes after we learn to think correctly. Peace comes after we learn to think correctly. So if you want peaceful feelings, you have to learn to think right. The reason people don't have peaceful feelings is because they do not think on the right things. So I think you're beginning to see maybe where we're going with this, and, and that is this, write this down please, what you think about will eventually affect your feelings. I'm going to prove it to you, but what you think about will eventually affect your feelings. Now, you know, one of the things that I, I've learned <laughs> in life is this, that if I want to control my emotions, there's certain music that I shouldn't listen to. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, if I want to experience feeling blue, and <clears throat> you know what I mean by blue, or uh, half depressed, okay, listen, let me put on Brian McKnight singing one last cry, and I immediately, so, some of y'all don't know about that, but, but I start thinking about all those relationships that didn't work out and the people that broke my heart, the girls who broke my heart. Yes, it's happened. It's true. I, 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 I'm willing to admit that. But when I hear him start to sing one last cry, it makes me want to have one last cry. Why is that? Because what that music does, and I'm not knocking the music, I, Brian McKnight's an awesome singer, but what the music does is it begins to get me thinking about something, and guess what happens? The blues follow what I'm thinking about. Okay? So what, my point is this, that whatever you allow your mind to think about on a consistent basis, based on what Paul told us, your feelings will follow that. If you allow yourself to begin to think about how, what a struggle things are, and listen, that might be a reality of your life, but for a believer, for a follower of Jesus Christ, that is not the final answer. 
Can I get a little better amen than that, all right? We have a different report. And so we have a choice as to what we can or, and, and can allow our minds to dwell on. Man, listen, think of just, you know, the next time that you have an opportunity to uh, maybe get a little depressed about the condition of your life, maybe things aren't going too well and, and you wish things were better. Listen, if you want to get out of that, the first thing that you're going to have to do is begin to think about all the times that God has brought you out before. How about the times when God has met your needs before? How about the times when God has healed your body before? See, the devil wants you to forget about those things and focus where you are right now because he knows, listen to me, here's how he works. He knows that if he can get you focused on where your life is right now, you will begin to put your feelings on the throne of your heart and in your life and your feelings will begin to make decisions for you. And I promise if you do that, you will make decisions that will cause you more trouble than it's worth. So the way the devil wants to work in your life is he wants to influence your thinking and if he can influence your thinking, he'll get you to dwell on those thoughts and then there's a level of deception that comes in because you forget about what God has said. And listen, we're all guilty of this. But what, what he does is he will strategically try and orchestrate thoughts in your mind to get you to think in a certain direction that he knows will produce certain feelings for you. In other words, listen, I might be minding my own business and uh, riding in my car, listening to Sirius XM, and I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. But then let that Brian McKnight song come on without me putting it on. I mean, you know, next thing I know, I'm reaching for the tissues. I mean, come on. What, what am I saying? Is that what he knows is that he, if he can get you to start thinking in a certain direction, he knows that the emotions will follow you. And if he can get you to follow those feelings and make a decision, then he has won the battle. Are, are you listening to me? See, this is what kept the children of Israel in trouble most of the time. You know, I, and listen, I don't, I don't knock them. You know, we, we're very hard on them, you know, in their journey in the wilderness for 40 years and so forth, how they grumbled and complained. We, you know, we, we forget about us a lot of times when we're reading about them. Oh, man, those people, they should have learned. They should have, I mean, God provided manna for them every day. He made water come out of a rock every day for them. He made quail come in every day for them to feed them. And he heated them and he cooled them and he did all of this for them. Why can't they see it? Well, hold on just a minute, sweetheart. God showed up and did something for you last week and you forgot it. And now you're struggling. But that's what got them into trouble most of the time. As you know, they, uh, they didn't even get out in the wilderness good. I mean, they got through the Red Sea, got on the other side of the Red Sea, and got thirsty. And all of a sudden, they start crying out, asking for water. And uh, the, tr crying out, saying, oh God. Now tell me if this doesn't sound like emotions out of control. God, you've brought us out here to let us die. Why didn't you? Now, they were slaves in bondage in Egypt, beaten and, and just horrible condition. Why did you bring us out here? Why didn't you leave us back in Egypt? Our life was so much better back then. Are you kidding me? Emotions, feelings out of control. And so God, what he had to do is he had to get Moses to strike a rock and water came out of the rock, miracle, performed a miracle, millions of gallons of water to feed not only two million people, but all their livestock and all of that. Well, they get a little ways down the road 
and they decide they're hungry. They're not hungry. They're hangry. They're mad at God. Now, Lord, oh God, you brought us out. I mean, emotions totally out of control. You brought us out here to die, you and that fellow Moses. And I mean, and, and, and we don't have anything to eat and we're going to starve. And I mean, just on and on and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, so let's reflect for just a moment. <clears throat> it wasn't too long before these two episodes that God performed 10 miracles in Egypt to get them delivered. They saw it. It wasn't like they were way off somewhere and God's over here working and they couldn't see it. They saw it. They saw how great God is. They saw what God was able to do. They saw how God provided water out of the rock. And then, <laughs> after God started having manna fall from heaven, you know what manna means, right, in Hebrew? Does anybody know what manna means? What is it? That's what it means, because they didn't know what it was, but it sure tasted good. I believe it was chunks of Krispy Kreme donuts, but that's just my opinion. But they would go out and they would gather up the manna every day. They lived off the manna. And then it cranked up again. Emotions out of control. God, we're tired of this, these Krispy Kreme donuts. We want some meat, God. We want some, you know, can you please give us some meat? So God said, okay, I'll give you some meat. So supernaturally, he had quail, millions of quail fly into the camp every day. Now, it wasn't like they had to get out there with a shotgun and shoot them and knock them down. The Bible says that they would, and they weren't laying on the ground dead either. The Bible says that they would fly waist high and all the people had to do was walk out of their tent and grab them. They didn't even have to go to Publix, to the rotisserie chicken section. It. They just reached out and grabbed whatever they needed. But yet, after that, that wasn't enough. Oh, God, you've brought us out. I mean, just all over the place. What do you think would have happened if the children of Israel had had a little different mindset? Let me read you a scripture, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. And it says this, we, so we see that they, the children of Israel, were not able to enter into his rest. God had a rest for the children of Israel. You know what rest means? Peace. Uh, not having to labor unnecessarily. Just a whole lot of different aspects. He said, so we see that they were not able to enter into his rest. Look at this, why? Because of their unwillingness to adhere to and trust in and rely on God, unbelief had shut them out. Wow. So what do you think would have happened if the, the children of Israel went through the Red Sea, they saw all their enemies destroyed in the Red Sea, and they get to the other side and they realize, hey, we need some water. Oh, God, man, we're so excited because we've seen everything that you did in Egypt. We just saw you split the Red Sea. We saw you destroy the armies of, of Pharaoh in Egypt. And, 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 and you, you eradicated all of our enemies in just a moment of time. And, Lord, we're so excited to see what you're going to do to meet this need that we have of water. Lord, we're waiting. We're ready. Show us up. Show out, God. Do what you're going to do. What do you think would have happened? Their attitude would have been different, and, and God's response to them probably would have been a little bit different as well. What if the next time you have a need, instead of feeling despondent and wondering what's going to happen, how am I going to make it, what if you said, God... Man, I'm excited. I, I am looking forward to see what you're going to do. Because here's the thing. If God will find somebody that will believe him like that, you know what he does for kicks? God does some things for just because, for kicks. You know what I mean by when I say that? 
What God will do is he'll figure out another way to meet that need, even if it's the exact same kind of need that he met before. He'll figure out a way to do it differently just to impress you. That's how good he is. And so you can say, God, oh, first of all, I know you promised me in your word that you would meet all of my needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So God, I'm looking forward to seeing what you're going to do this time. And then I'm waiting and you're standing in faith, just waiting to see what God's going to do. See, what, what God is trying to do in our lives and write this down, God wants to move us out of feelings and over into faith. Because see, here's what feelings and emotions will get you to do. When you face a need, even though God has met that same kind of need before, he'll, you, you'll be tempted and want to make a decision to help meet the need yourself. In other words, help God out. God doesn't need your help. He just needs you to believe. But he's trying to get you out of that place of being like the children of Israel where you're all over the place because of your feelings and your emotions. And he's just trying to get you to a place where you will get into faith and believe him. You see, let me draw a couple of analogies for you. Write this down, please. See, feelings are always based on what I am seeing and what I am hearing at the moment. Feelings are always based on what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing at the moment. If I am seeing problems and I'm focused on that and I'm hearing I'm not going to make it, I'm hearing that, that the economy is going to get worse and so forth and so on and that's what I'm focused on, then my feelings are going to be based on that and I promise you, you will make the wrong choices. Faith, on the other hand, write this down, faith is always based on what God has said. Faith is always based on what God has said. Now here's the key, all right? And this is the bottom line of what I'm wanting to get to and that is this, your Feelings are meant to follow you as you believe and do God's word. Your feelings, God created you with emotions and feelings so that you will, as you get into faith, will make decisions and those feelings will give you the drive. There's a fancy word called impetus. Will give you the impetus to stay with that decision and faith and follow it all the way through till you see the manifestation. Let me give you a quick example. We won't turn there. I mean, this will take just a second. David, back in when Goliath was taunting the children of Israel, David was a man of God, had been living with God, had been... God had been training him as a shepherd and, and, and he had seen God show up and do some awesome things. So David gets sent to go and carry his brother some lunch and he shows up on the battlefield and there's this giant out there in the battlefield taunting the, the armies of Israel. And David rolls up on the scene and says, hey, who's that? And so his brothers proceed to tell him who it is. And then David asks a real interesting question. What will the king give the guy that gets rid of him? My paraphrasation. Now he's a 14, 15 year old boy and he rolls up and there's this nine and a half foot giant out there taunting the, the armies of Israel and David says, what will the king give to the guy who gets rid of him? And so they tell him, you'll get to marry the king's daughter and then your family won't have to pay taxes for the rest of their lives. Done. So David says, hey, I got it. I can handle it. And his brothers pull him aside and say, hey, listen, don't come down here with your hyperactive self and wanting to do, you know, who do you think you are? And David spoke up and he said something really interesting. And you can read this for yourself. But he said this. He said in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he said, is there 
not a cause. See, we see a lot of people that get emotionally involved in causes today. Save the planet, climate change, all of those things. And I'm not going to comment on any of that today. But why can we not get emotionally involved where faith is concerned? Who does the devil think he is coming against me with this sickness and disease? No, sir, my Jesus, my Jesus, my Lord and Savior, the one who bled and died on a cross for me and was raised on the third day, he bought and paid for my healing. No, 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 no. I will see you're, you're, you're getting a, a righteous emotion on the inside of you that if you will let that it will drive your faith all the way through to manifestation. That's what your emotions are designed to do. Your emotions are designed that when God shows up on the scene, and I think we've probably, you know, I'm assuming, but we've probably all experienced that time of worship where the presence of God was tangible in the room. And, and, and I mean, I've experienced it many times. And, and what that does is the presence of God is designed to affect you spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Now, what we've done in the church is we've gone and had emotional experiences and called it an encounter with God. It's not. You just cranked up and, and hyped up some emotions. But when God is in the room and the presence and the anointing of God is present, I promise you, your emotions will respond. So what God is trying to do is move us over from being led by our feelings, led by our emotions, over to a place uh, where we are in faith. And then uh, when you begin to control your feelings and stop letting them dictate to you, you will begin to enter in to that that God has already prepared for you. The more that he has for you. So the bottom line is this. See, what is keeping us from entering into God's highest and best? A lot of times, more times than not, is our feelings. Well, I just don't feel like God's moving. Who says? God says he is. Well, I just don't feel healed. Who says? God says you are. I don't feel like I'm righteous, like I'm right with God. Who says? God says you are. And see, what we cannot do is allow that to dictate to us to make decisions and allow your feelings to be on the throne of your heart because if you do, you're not going to enter into God's highest and best. Now, again, I didn't imply and say that you're supposed to be a robot. But what you're supposed to do is allow through faith and God's word, allow your decisions to be made and your emotions follow your decisions. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.